This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is Halftime Adjustments on WPXI Now. Welcome to Wednesday night. You know what that means. It means a few things. It means we're over the hump, almost. It means uh, halftime adjustments, and we get to co- talk about all kinds of great things. I'm Albie Auction Runner with Chris Carter on the other end from DKPittsburghSports.com. Chris, how you doing midweek? I'm doing great, Albie. I'm doing great. You know, we're sitting here. We're talking some sports. Uh, no no pit basketball tonight, but they'll be back at it this Sunday. Um, but it's certainly still been an exciting week to talk about. We've got a lot of things this year, and especially on um, the Pittsburgh Penguins, getting some new guys in leadership. All right, let's talk about that. Brian Burke is the new president of hockey operations for the Pittsburgh Penguins and uh, a guy that people in Pittsburgh know all too well. Ron Hextall uh, is the uh, new general manager for the Penguins, replacing Jim Rutherford. First of all, what do you think of these moves? I I think it's an acknowledgement that the Penguins have to prepare to go into a different direction. There's one of two things that can happen here, Albie. Either they make the aggressive moves to address the team's weaknesses, mainly goaltender, uh, right right now, and they believe in this group, or they're like, look, if you want to be real and have your next chance at a cup be sooner rather than later, and it's not, and they don't think it's right now, then you got to get ready for the for the next group, for the next nucleus that you want to build. And it's going to be interesting to see which direction they go in the cut in the coming weeks uh, to see like, do they start adding pieces to this team? Or do they kind of let this team ride and figure out, okay, who could want these players? How can we find a way to make, you know, some of the, some of our guys more marketable so that we can get draft pieces or younger pieces to build our Penguins roster for the future? Well, it, it's interesting, too, because as we look back not too long ago when Jim Rutherford uh, abruptly resigned, you know, there were a lot of people asking me when I would see them on the street, hey, what happened with Rutherford? Now, Rutherford assured us it had nothing to do with health or family uh, situations. Um, uh, and, and he was very complimentary of the Penguins. However, there was clearly something that got in the way um, as his, the end of his contract approached uh, in June, and perhaps it was the fact that they wanted to bring in uh, someone who would oversee the general manager, in this case, Brian Burke overseeing Ron Hextall, but maybe, and this is pure conjecture, maybe this is something that didn't sit well with Jim Rutherford. It doesn't matter at this point. Uh, but maybe that begins to provide some clarity on what happened with the Penguins. Yeah, I, I, I have to I have to agree uh, that this this certainly looks like something that could have played into that. You know, Albie, you know, again, when you're a guy like Jim Rutherford, you've won two rings. You're, well, don't question me. I'm in the Hall of Fame. I have all this respect. There's, I'd imagine it's like, no, I've worked too long in this field, in this industry, you know, in this or and, and done too much for this organization to be micromanaged by someone else. And that could absolutely be part of it, especially when, you know, you, he calls the shots the way he is. If he was a younger guy, then it'd be still be like, well, maybe, you know, maybe he should have taken that. But Jim Rutherford has been around for a long time. He carries respect everywhere he goes. Uh, so I could understand if he's like, you know what, if you guys don't trust me to run this ship the way I have run this ship that got this, that got that helped get this, this franchise two more uh, Stanley Cup championships, then I don't need to be here. And, and again, this is pure conjecture on both of our parts. Uh, but Albie, I think that's the best theory that I've heard 
in all of this is that, you know, he didn't want to have, have a move like this, you know, come down while he was here. And it's clear the Penguins and Mary Lemieux, they're like, you know what, we got to do something different because, you know, what's happening right now isn't working. And, and this is a crucial time with Crosby, Malcolm, Latang, and this core. And you got guys who either, A, you win, you win one more with them right now, or B, you need to start getting ready for the future for whoever is going to win one in the future. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Brian Burke. Uh, Brian Burke has done a few things that I have not. He was the general manager in Anaheim when they won the cup in 2006, 2007, that season. Uh, Harvard Law guy, worked for the NHL, uh, and, and most recently was a broadcaster up in Canada. And while performing his role as a broadcaster not so long ago, he suggested that uh, talking about the Penguins' difficult division that they're in now with Boston and Washington and the Flyers, uh, he, he said they're not better than those teams. And he suggested that the Penguins' championship window was closing or closed. And I'm paraphrasing because I don't know the exact quote, but, but uh, this is a guy that kind of had to defend those comments yesterday. And he didn't back off of those comments. Uh, he said when you have rare talent, unique talent that the Penguins have, again, paraphrasing, he said you have to try to win now. But a little bit different from what he said not so long ago. That's what's up. And I think he's right. You, you got to kind of change your tone, uh, you know, when, you, when you're going to the situation. And he even said, I don't I don't, you know, back down from my comments then because he was making them as an analyst. He think he thinks that their window has closed. But now it's his job to make sure either that it hasn't or he needs to open the next window as soon as possible. Uh, and, and it's very different when you're com- when you're commenting from from the from a media standpoint. There's no pressure on you to solve things. I think that's a big reason why Bill Cowher doesn't get back into coaching. Is like I don't need the pressure of needing every decision of every day to mean something. I like to get up, analyze football, watch the game, and then get paid millions of dollars to talk about it. And that's uh, understandable. But it, it's a two very different situations. And right now. I think that you're looking at, at, at those, he looks back at those comments and he's like, I'm not going to regret what I said, but I know that I can't say those type of things right now while I'm employed by this organization. Yeah. And I think that was a good way for him to approach that when asked uh, about those comments. One more thing. Uh, the fact that there's now a president of hockey operations and Ron Hextall is the GM. Uh, Ron Hextall was asked about that and um Hey, listen, this is a different world now with salary caps and with trying to figure out the financial end of it and how it all fits in, not to mention the situation that they're going through right now with COVID. And in addition to the player moves, you have all those other considerations. So Ron Hextall uh, will get some help in that regard. He seemed to welcome it. And, And I think that's the best thing for the Penguins here is that, look, they need to go in some new directions and they're going to try and figure out how to work with it again Jim Rutherford was brought in because he was a legend and he built more of his legend while he while he was with the Penguins so absolutely I, I agree with you you know sometimes you got to go with different approaches we'll see if this one works for the Penguins they've called some really good shots lately all right we're going to be back to talk about the Steelers and some shots that they're going to have to uh, uh, try to call this offseason uh, lots of stuff happening with the Steelers and with the NFL now that the Super Bowl is behind us Chris and I will get into that when we return on halftime adjustments right here on WPXI Now. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. The offseason, Chris, is underway in the NFL with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win in Super Bowl 55. Everybody talked about that for about 24 hours. Then it's full speed ahead into what will be a busy offseason in the league and particularly with the Steelers with all they have going on and not just Ben Roethlisberger. Let's talk about the guys that Ben throws the ball to. Uh, Your thoughts on what's going to happen with Juju Smith-Schuster and some of the other guys that will have to uh, fill some spots and uh, do the job if Juju leaves. Well, one of the things that's going to be the biggest discussion all offseason until it's actually made is can the Steelers keep Juju Smith-Schuster? Personally, I don't think it's possible. Simply because we're looking at a slimmer salary cap than ever before, and the Steelers are already over that expected salary cap by about $34 million. Now, again, they get some of that back because Vance McDonald retired. If Pouncey retires, that's another $8 million on top of his five. So then you're talking a good chunk of that being gone. And then we know that Ben Roethlisberger's contract is going to be changed, restructured, whatever it's going to be. There's going to be different numbers, and he's going to lower his cap hit this year because the Rooney said it has to happen, and Ben has since said that he wants to make that happen. But the question is, how much can they get that down? And then the question after that, Albie, is how many other moves can they make? You know, I can see them extending players like Steven Nelson, Cameron Hayward, David DeCastro, Stephon Tewitt, and moving money down the line, which they absolutely can do, because after this season, their salary cap is huge. They have so much room to invest in the, in the next few years after this year. But right now, the problem is with Juju Smith-Schuster. He's had a 1,400-yard season. He was in the top 10 in NFL in receptions this year. He had like, like nine touchdowns this year. You know, even – even with the Steelers' troubles down to the late stretch, he's going to command value on the free agency market. And if he wants to make money, he could just say, you know what, Steelers, I'm just going to ride this one out. I'm going to go into the market. And there's a lot of people who think he can make upwards of 15 to $18 million a year in the NFL being paid uh, to be a top wide receiver. Um, and, I, and again, he's extremely young. I think he's just 24 years old. A lot of guys come into the league at that age. Um, so, I think that there's a lot of people that look at that as a possibility and the Steelers, the problem with, for Juju, for the idea of Juju staying here is that they've drafted three guys in the top rounds in the three years after him. And you got Chase Claypool who scored 13 touchdowns this last year, Deontay Johnson, who looks like a real dangerous guy with the ball in his hand, James Washington, who's been a silent but steady contributor for the Steelers at times. And, and a guy that you're like, maybe you can build around those three guys so it makes it so do you it brings up the question do you really have to invest in Juju Smith Schuster when you have to invest in the offensive line the running back position depth at inside linebacker depth at edge rusher and all these other places that you got to put your money towards yeah another thing to consider is the fact that and you mentioned running the ball you know running the ball is a big component of their success going forward and whether or not they're able to find somebody who can consistently run Another thing is, and I think we learned this from from the postseason and particularly the Super Bowl with Travis Kelsey and and, and certainly with Gronk, um, you know, you reminded and and we've seen bits and we've seen glimpses of this with the Steelers, but you're reminded how valuable a tight end can be. You know, when you're talking about receivers, uh, you tend to talk about Deontay Johnson, you talk about Chase Claypool, you talk about 
Washington, but you don't talk about uh, what weapons they could have if they start to really utilize that tight end position more. I agree. It's a position that's been underused by the Steelers. Um, I think that Eric Ebron was a good step in the right direction this year. Um, despite the drops that many fans remember, he still delivered several huge impact plays for this team and expanding the field. And I think he's a guy that if you made him a part of your offense and, and again, the Steelers, they need to be more balanced as an offense. When they were, when, when they were building their win streak, when they got to six, seven and oh, Albie, they were averaging over 130 yards on the ground per game. That is, was huge for what was bringing the balance to their offense. But then you started to see them, you know, almost lose to the Cowboys and then struggle with the Jaguars at times. And, and, then, and then eventually with their, with their loss and their struggle with the Ravens and then their loss to the Washington and then their losing streak, be, you know, came into play. It's when they went away from having a balanced offense. And when you have a balanced offense, you don't need to have four wideouts that are extremely talented the way they've had for the past couple seasons. Um, you, you're going to be able to use, hey, we'll use more two receiver sets, three receiver sets, and we'll run the ball more, and you'll use more double tight end situations. So I agree. The tight end position is another place that you could emphasize here, but if you're building off of the run and if you're showing that, hey, we can get back to this style of football where we're not running spread offense half the time, that's going to bring more value to tight end and give more opportunities for the guys who, uh, you know, who, you know, at the top of your, at your wide receiver depth chart, instead of needing to go into the fourth and fifth wide receiver position so much. Yeah. And, and talk a little bit, if we could uh, uh, just spread this conversation out a little bit into the offseason priorities, clearly they want to uh, figure out what they're going to do with Ben that, you know, that would be first, but uh, talk about the priorities after Ben Roethlisberger's situation uh, is is settled. What do you, where do you go from there, and what should the priorities be? Well, the priorities go from top to bottom as far as who makes the most money against the salary cap, Albie. And of course, Ben Roethlisberger is at the top of that food chain with $41.2 million against the cap this year. Now, granted, not all that money he's necessarily making this year, but it's still money that counts against the Steelers and money and only a portion of that can be moved. But after they do find a way to move it, and I, I, I think the Steelers, they need to aim for as much as possible to move that money down the line. And, and Ben, Ben's, uh, you know, several times a hundred millionaire over like he's, He's made his money in the NFL. I think he understands that if he wants to add to his legacy, it's going to take that kind of a sacrifice, um, which is why he said what he said to the, you know, to the Roonies. Now, as far as who comes after him, again, you go from top to bottom. And one of the top paid players on the Steelers uh, salary cap next year is Marquise Pouncey. And he's one of the guys that really underperformed this season, even though he made a pro bowl um, Marquise Pouncey, you know, was not a dominant force at the center position where he is, is he's a great captain to keep your offensive line together, to communicate, to recognize blitzes that are coming. Those are the things that you'd look at and say, okay, he brings value. But at the same time, there's real questions as far as, you know, the, he's got, you can save $8 million if he's not on your off, if he's not on your roster next year, you got to look at him and other guys that are carrying big money next year and see, do you a get rid of them or B extend them and move their money to other years? All right. Thanks, Chris, for those thoughts. Uh, we're going to talk about pit basketball and maybe a few other things related to that and the, the, the strange situation that this has become. Uh, but about one player in particular who has really uh, risen above uh, this year. We'll talk about uh, Justin Champagny and pit basketball when we return on WPXI Now and Halftime Adjustments. And welcome back to Halftime Adjustments. It's that time of the year. What time of the year is that? Well, 
it's approaching mid-February here. That It's getting old. This whole winter thing is getting old. So we can think about spring training and the trucks have left for Bradenton with all the Pirates equipment. That's one of the signs of spring on the way. The other is March Madness. And, and this year it's going to take on a completely different look uh, in the bubble in Indianapolis and all that. But, you know, there are some challenges between now, where we are now, and then, Chris. Um, and Pitt basketball has they've dealt with this like everybody else. It's been difficult, quite frankly. And you hear it from the coaches. You hear it in their interviews. This has been a difficult challenge for them. But one of the guys – one of the players who has really stood out for Pitt, and I think that everybody realizes what a special talent he is, is uh, Justin Champagny. Talk a little bit about um, what he has done in a season of challenges and, and where you think this might take Pitt this year. Well, Justin Champagny has become a superstar, really, and he's put himself in a situation where you may legitimately be talking about him going to the NBA this season. Um, right now, Justin Champagny is averaging 12 rebounds per game and 19.2 points per game. Those are both leading the ACC. Now, granted, Albie, the ACC is not nearly the superpower conference that it normally is. This has been a down year for Duke, UNC, and a few other programs. But at the same time, you're still in a conference where you, get, you gather a lot of respect. The most recent team to a program to win the national championship is still Virginia, who uh, Pitt you know, gave them a good fight against, but came up short against uh, over on, uh, on Saturday. Um, and you still got to play them, Virginia Tech, Florida State, Clemson. There's a lot of teams out there with a lot of talent that Pitt can beat. And, and right now, Justin Champagny is doing a great job. But where I think Justin Champagny's next step is for Pitt, Albie, is he has to learn how to be a leader off the court as well. And he, he's shown flashes of that. Um, they needed a huge comeback against – or a decent comeback against Syracuse on the road. And they said that, you know, during the halftime of that game, you know, Pitt had been struggling with the zone defense – uh, Champagny, who was injured at the time, you know, brought some of the players over to a whiteboard and said, let's try this. Let's try that. And he's not even playing. And then they came out and they exploded in the second half to beat Syracuse in that game in, you know, at the Carrier Dome. And then even recently, after the team's uh, really embarrassing loss to Notre Dame, uh, him, Audis, Tony, and Xavier Johnson all called a leadership meeting amongst themselves and they were the they they came together and they they got the team to get back on track with a huge win over Virginia Tech, the program's first win over a ranked opponent since 2019. Um, I, that's what I want to see out of Justin Justin Champagny more, and especially now lately, Albie, more teams are now focusing on Champagny. They're double teaming him consistently. They're being physical. They're trying to knock him over, and he still found a way to keep getting his double doubles. He has nine double doubles on the season this year, but. Now he's got to find ways to help the guys understand how to win with him not being the main force and saying, hey, I'm going to pass the ball to you in this situation. You have to tr I have to trust you to hit that shot. Um, I'm going to go off course a little bit. I remember before the season, um, Jeff Capel talked about, I think he said 17 games is what they, they, they would, that, that, that would be the mark that they thought would be the mark of games being canceled, you needed to have a minimum of 17 games to be considered for the tournament. This situation with COVID uh, in college basketball in particular um, has really, really uh, impacted them. I mean, Duquesne just announced that their game at George Mason on Saturday has been postponed. Yeah. Pitt dealt with it this week. Um, there's been a lot of it going on. Um, Jeff Capel said the other day that, that mental health concerns are real. And how you talk to players after a loss, um, you have to consider all these things. This is affecting them in a big way. 
Um, and he said something else that, that the Duke Kane coach, um, uh, Keith Dambrot said earlier this season that there's no joy in this season. I, yeah. I think they had the same exact quote. Uh, clearly, this is affecting them and it's affecting the schedule as well. Where do you see this going? Do you think there are any problems in, in actually uh, realistically having, uh, having March Madness, having a tournament? Well, again, Albie, they've already agreed that they're going to make all of March Madness happen in one city. They're going to, it's all going right. to be in Indianapolis. They're going to make that as manageable as possible. Right. And I think doing that is the, um, is the best decision here. You have to find ways to be as, as reasonable as possible to make sure that these players are as safe as possible. But what a lot of people are really concerned about isn't necessarily March Madness, Albie. It's the conference yes, tournament. Right, right, because right. Uh, Jeff Capel brought up, he's like, what's to stop a team that's ranked in the top 25 who knows that they're going to be in the tournament and in the big dance from saying, you know what, we're just not showing up to the conference tournament because we're afraid that if we go and we play all these other teams in succession like this, we're going to expose ourselves to COVID and then we'll be messed up for the start of the tournament and then we'll lose because our star players won't be around. That, those are real considerations right now that have to be taken into place. Now, I think that the, the, the college basketball can work around this, but Jeff Capel's also right that you have to think not just about the, the prosperity of the team, but, the, pro, but the, the mental health of the players on top of being judged every day. You know, when Xavier Johnson has a rough day where he misses, you know, you know, three of his, you know, he goes one for four from three pointers and he doesn't put up enough points. People are coming down on him left and right. And this guy's still in college. He's like, he's a kid. And people are treating this like, like, you know, oh, he's doing such a horrible job. Meanwhile, he's one of the better players on the team. And he's a huge, he's a huge leader for the team in trying to turn this program around. And at the same time, they're all dealing with something that's completely unprecedented. And it's, it, 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 it freaks you out to think that like, yeah, like you're dealing with a disease that has killed what 450,000 plus people. There's a lot of problems there. And I think it, I think what Jeff Capel is saying is, Hey, we have to be more mindful of what these kids are going through. All right. And yeah, he said it well, and that's a good way to look at it as we approach the end of February and, uh, some big things coming up in college basketball. Fingers crossed. Back with our final thoughts here on Halftime Adjustments right after this. Welcome back to our final moments here on Halftime Adjustments. I referenced baseball earlier, Chris. Uh, truck day, I guess is what they're calling it now. Uh, they load up the truck down at PNC Park with equipment, weights and baseballs and bats and everything else, I, I would assume. Anything baseball related. They head to Florida with the equipment. They get there like Wednesday night or Thursday, and then they begin to unload it. And baseball spring training will be right on the edge of happening. Um, is that a big deal for you because of uh, where we are right now, mid-February, COVID, cold weather, snow, everything else? I think it's a good sign that the MLB is getting ready for another season. We, people need distractions in sports. Again, I think it's important and vital that these players have every layer of protection that they can get. Um, but for me, for me, I'll be, I do think it's, it's a good thing. Granted, in Pittsburgh, I don't think anyone's going to really care about baseball. But if, if there's fans allowed at PNC Park this season, that would be the win. And you'd be like, hey, I don't care how bad they are. I will gladly sit at a spaced out PNC Park and, and, and take in a game. And just the thought of warmer temperatures and sunshine and maybe that ability to go outside and enjoy it means a whole lot, especially where we are right now. Chris, thank you. Stay safe. We'll, we'll talk to you real soon. And thank you for joining us on Halftime Adjustments. We'll see you next Wednesday night right here on WPXI Now.